Okay. Uh, what about if uh, Miss Professor Hendrawan come late? Is it? That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. yeah. I hope. Yeah. Okay. We'll try. We'll try to get him into the room. Thank you. No problem. Professor Hendrawan is. No, Alhamdulillah. Where he is my name? Oh, welcome, Professor Hendrawan. I think, oh, your ID is Mr. Ahmad Wichaksono, Pak Hendrawan. Please change it. So, Diana, we already have uh, Professor Hendrawan with us. Yeah, okay. Thank you very much. Yes, done. Can everybody not on screen please mute themselves and um, use the chat if you need to chat to me about something. Okay, I'm going to start the webinar now. Thanks, Diana. Okay, yes, please. Well, hello and welcome to this Latrobe Asia event, Inclusive and Accessible Education and Services to Students with Disabilities in Higher Education. My name is Rebecca Strading. I'm the Executive Director of Latrobe Asia and I will be chairing the event today. Uh, salamat datang to our Indonesian guests, particularly from the Indonesian Ministry of Research and Higher Education and our colleagues at Universitas Brawijaya and any audience members who may be Zooming in from Indonesia. I would like to begin the event by acknowledging the elders, past, present and emerging of the Wurundjeri people who are the traditional custodians of the land upon which Latrobe University sits. I'd also like to extend that respect to any Indigenous Australians watching today's webinar. Indonesian closed captioning will be available through Zoom at the bottom of the screen, and you will find the English closed captioning link in the chat function. Today's event will be recorded and we will send links to participants and you will find more information uh, in the chat uh, about some of the, the recording services that we offer. It is a great honour and privilege to be chairing this event on inclusive education practices and approaches to higher education. And I hope that uh, by the end of today's session, we will all take away new ideas and inspiration for how we can better support students with disabilities in our teaching and support practices. Uh, this issue seems even more pressing uh, and important given the COVID-19 situation and the changes to teaching delivery that in many cases had to be rapidly implemented and have had a diverse range of impacts on um, the learning uh, experiences of many of our students. 
So today we'll be focusing on social models of support for students with disability in higher education rather than focusing on medical models. And I would like to take this opportunity uh, to thank uh, in particular Dr Dina Afrianti from the Law School here at La Trobe University and Diana Hethridge, the Senior Project Officer at La Trobe Asia for their tireless efforts in putting together this superb panel of experts. Uh, now I will introduce each person at the start of their presentation. So it is my great privilege uh, to welcome the Director of Learning and Student Affairs and the General Director of the Office for Higher Education in the Ministry of Education and Culture, Professor Aris Junaidi, uh, for some opening remarks. So I will hand it over to you, Professor Aris. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Albeka, for the introduction and uh, also all speakers with the webinar uh, here today. And uh, from the Ministry of Education and Culture, uh, I'm myself as a director of planning and student affairs, fully support this, uh, this initiative, this, this, this uh, webinar. This is a very good, excellent uh, initiative discussing about the inclusive education and also sharing best experiences from Maria in Indonesia. Please let me know for two slides. So thank you so much. And here we are. Uh, special education and special service education and university. We have a ministerial degree of the Ministry of Research and Higher Education, number 46, uh, 2017. This, uh, uh, this uh, ministerial degree regulates the implantation of the inclusion education and university, including obligation for study program to accept disability student regarding on the academic record. Currently, we are refined this ministerial degree become ministerial degree of Minister of Education and Culture, and the draft was already uh, finalized, and now has been on the desk of the what we call it uh, law office to uh, be uh, uh, what we call it uh, assigned by our ministry. So uh, what we are doing so far, the Director General of Higher Education and Special Education here. We conducted uh, continuously training and socialization to increase the awareness of students with special needs in universities. The second one is we also establishing the grant fund for lecture to develop special education innovation in order to facilitating learning activity for students with special needs, especially in current pandemic COVID. 19 era this year. The third one, we plan publishing guidelines for the implementation of education for students with special needs. And lastly, encouraging the involvement of students with special needs to participate in the program provided by ministry. So this is a, a part of my site and 
one again. We congratulate with uh, cooperation with BUP and Latrop. We are very supported with this idea and hopefully the webinar will be fruitful discussion and then will be followed with the real action after that. So thank you, Rebecca. Thank you and good luck. Enjoy and have a good webinar for today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Professor Aris. It's a terrific way to start the event. Uh, we do have a, another set of opening comments. I would like to welcome the Vice-Chancellor for Planning and Cooperation at the Universitas uh, Brawijaya, Professor Dr. Mohamed Sasmito Dijati, uh, to now uh, help us to introduce today's session. Thank you, uh, Rebecca. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Waalaikumsalam warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Sorry, please open my video. Hostel close uh, my video here. I cannot open. I cannot. I cannot see my face here. Okay, Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh once more. Uh, good morning for Indonesian and also uh, good afternoon for Australians. Welcome to Zoom meeting between Latrobe University and Universitas Brawijaya. First of all, on behalf of our university, I would like to say thank to uh, distinguished speaker here, Professor Aris Junaidi, Professor Hendrawan Sutanto, Professor Sonny Ahmad Wijaksono, Ibu Alice Putri Lintangsari, Mr. Selamat Tohari, Indonesian Chair of Adrians, Mr. Anthony Gardner, Manager of Equity and Diversity, Latrobe University, Mr. Mr. Petridalski, PhD Candidate, Latrobe University, Mr. Ramas, Ramas McRae, Oslan, uh, Coordinator Lecture, Latrup University, and all of my colleagues in UB, and also the chairperson, Dr. Rebecca Starling, Executive Director of Latrup Asia. I think this online seminar continuing the collaboration between Latrup University and Brawijaya University under their, uh, our memorandum of understanding which aim to strengthen mutual learning and equity and diversity in tertiary education. It is also organized jointly by Latrobe Asia and Center for Disability Service and Research PSLD, UB, and Australia Indonesian Disability Research and Advocacy Network, Adrians. Secondly, this program which enhance collaboration in terms of in inclusive education and education for all. It is believed would bring a great benefit for mutual understanding and future collaboration between two universities and two countries. While the COVID-19 pandemic makes physical mobility become impossible through online series of webinar, lecture, discussion, case study, observation, and direct interaction with people from different backgrounds, 
participant will gain better understanding and hopefully Brawijaya and Latrup it is have potential and challenges. We have gathered here to discuss, share and care with enormous activities such as uh, Biennial International Conference on Disability and Diversity in Asia. Secondly, Young Disability Advocate Training. Another thing is guidance and lines course for students with disability, especially particularly blind and deaf. And various international on disabled issue also social media campaigns for disability awareness, as well as joint research and publication on disability issue as well. I am highly honored to take this opportunity. We have believed this seminar attending with several distinguished personality who are highly qualified. We have gathered here to discuss, share and care to solve the humanity as well as humankind problem. Hopefully in this occasion to get fruitful ideas, issues concerning inclusive education. In the my case, our case, Brawijaya case, in the last February 19, the year of 2020, we have surprised hearing that Universitas Brawijaya have awarded as the winner of Innovative Practice 2020 on Inclusive Education Innovative in ICT from Zero Project United Nations in Vienna, Australia, Austria, sorry, in terms of admission, quota and support services for university enrollment. It is encouraged us to rethinking and reactualize our vision and mission about inclusive education. Now we are proudly to announce that one of our educational flagship is inclusive education. Moreover, after the pandemic of COVID-19, we just thought about very small and unseen creator, but it is giving great impact to our daily life, our habits and our important thing is our way of thinking about what is life mean. I think this great moment to rethinking about the safety of humankind life. I hope you have a very good webinar and gain a valuable outcomes. Thank you very much and have a great discussion. Wassalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Thank you, Rebecca Astalti. Thank you, Professor Dejati. Uh, again, that was a lovely introduction. Uh, this webinar is a true testament to the collaboration between our two universities. Uh, and you, uh, you did a lovely job of, of presenting uh, our speakers and the topic here today. Uh, we, do, uh, we are about to head into our formal presentations. Uh, before I introduce our, our first 
uh, presenter. I would like to, to say that uh, we have Q&A available, so we will be doing Q&A at the end of the, the session. Um, so please do put your questions into the Q&A function at the bottom of your screen as we go through, uh, go through the session. Um, and I will read a selection of those out to our panelists uh, towards the end of the session. Uh, but it's my great pleasure to welcome our first presenter, Professor Hendrawan Sutanto, uh, who is an expert um, staff of academic affairs at Universitas Brawijaya. Excuse me. Uh, it's great uh, to, to present uh, to you uh, our next expert. So I will hand it over to Professor Sutanto. Yeah. Okay, thank you, uh, Dr. Rebecca, for introducing me and giving me opportunity to address some important point from the University of Brawijaya. Today, uh, I would like to represent the Vice Rector for Academic Affairs, who, uh, who is uh, due to many programs today. Uh, she cannot, she cannot uh, attend this one. So she asked me just to deliver uh, some points in this uh, very important webinar. Okay, uh, good morning. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh for Indonesian participants and good afternoon for our colleague from Australia, from Latrop and probably from many other uh, places who join this uh, webinar. So let me, uh, what is joined with you just together with my uh, presentation uh, file. May I ask your permission just to share this file? Yes, go ahead. Yeah, okay, fine. Is it, uh, can be seen by anyone? Yep, okay. all good. Good. Well, <clears throat> This is the, the title of my presentation. It's about inclusive policy and practices in Universitas Brawijaya or University of Brawijaya. And I'm really honored uh, this time just to be able to join with you in this very important uh, webinar. And I think the issue of uh, inclusive education has become uh, actually very important in, not only in Indonesia, probably in many other countries. I would like to uh, split my presentation into three parts. First of all, I would like to highlight uh, Universitas Brawijaya or University of Brawijaya, about our vision and mission, and especially our inclusive policy on disability education. And then in the second part of my presentation, I'd like to uh, address some performances in inclusive education that we already achieved, and also telling you about the student distribution based on faculty diversity. And the last section is about timeline achievement. So it's about our activities and international recognition. And also I'd like to show you some galleries of activities. 
Well, <clears throat> now uh, I would like to highlight about Universitas Brawijaya. This is our campus. Uh, I think this is exactly in the center of the campus. As you can see, if you come to, in, to Malang, to University of Brawijaya, we have a mission uh, becoming an outstanding world-class university and able to take activity part in national development through education, research, and community services. Our mission is to implement the process of learning so that learners can become people with academic and or professional skills and good personality who also possess entrepreneurial characteristics. And secondly, the mission is to develop and propagate science, technology, arts, and humanity, and attempting to improve people's standard of living and enrich the national culture. Now, I'd like to deliver the information on inclusive policy on disability. University of Brawijaya believe that there is nothing without education. And we also uh, actually supporting the education for all. At the moment, our national policy probably in according with the one that already presented by uh, Professor Aris Junaidi, the Director of Learning and Student Affairs of the Directorate General of Higher Education, that we already have law number 20. It was established in 2003 about national education system that accommodate also the disabled person. And this one in law numbers 11, this one is already stated with the ratification in, we included as about the right uh, for the people with disability. And also we have another one, law number eight, it was uh, announced in 2016 about people and uh, with disabilities and also the Ministry of Education rule is number 46 so uh, it was in 2017 about educational services for students with disabilities so I think that we are equipped with a quite uh, sufficient uh, regulation that can be an umbrella of our uh, education development uh, for people with disabilities. And at provincial uh, level, the policy also include that's a provincial, provincial law number six. It was established in 2011 about inclusive education. And also number three, uh, it was established in 2013 about protection and services for people with disabilities. So together with national and provincial uh, policies, so the University of Brawijaya now can run the program smoothly and because we are uh, actually umbrella by, by this kind of uh, regulation and law. Because of that, the UB's policy now that's already composed through the Rector decrees number 175. It was announced in 2012 on the establishment of Center for Disability Studies and Services that now uh, together with us running this webinar. 
And also this one is followed by the rector decree number 198 in 2012 on affirmative admission for students with disabilities and also another decree number 19 and some other thing again. And last but not least, uh, in 2020, rector decree number 34, Article 8, on freedom of learning curriculum, that's followed by the adoption of outcome-based learning at the University of Brawijaya. I think this one has become very clear now that we can uh, run this program. Uh, not uh, different from from the one that uh, actually uh, undergo by other student uh, without disability. Let me now uh, tell you a little bit about inclusive education performance. In University of Brawijaya, how do they distribute it? What is the number of graduates with the disabilities and the current job and career? I think this one's uh, is very important just to give information from uh, anyone who wish to uh, what is uh, just to study in University of Brawijaya. <clears throat> um, look at this map. The Indonesian map is a, is a quite diverse and coverage. The coverage of, of uh, Indonesian uh, territory is is quite big. But uh, at the moment, our student still come from Sumatra. This is uh, the farthest is uh, from North Sumatra, yeah, and up to the uh, Nusa Tenggara Timur, yeah, something like in the east, uh, in the eastern part of, of Indonesia. This one is close to Kupang, yeah. But as you can see that the distribution of the student or the origin of the student is quite diverse, and it will also, this one um, introduce the uh, maybe a local wisdom, local culture, and that maybe blended in the University of Pravijaya could be uh, what is something like the character of the graduate of Pravijaya University. <clears throat> Currently, our student with disability uh, intake from 2012 until 20, uh, 2020 is about 169 students. Yeah? And the number actually reached the peak at 2017, but now it's a bit declining. And in 2020, it's about 15 uh, student with disability that's already uh, admitted uh, in the University of, of Brawijaya. You know, this is the number is still, is still far, actually, this beyond the expectation. So we still need actually some uh, great effort just to uh, what is something like uh, to introduce just to tell the student with disability just to come to the University of Brawijaya because we provide some uh, educational uh, facilities and also activities that uh, maybe they say help them to be uh, sustained uh, by themselves uh, in the future. In terms of uh, type of disability of uh, people studying in Brawijaya University, 
we have around the four of deaf yeah? uh, students and about 13 with blind or visually impaired and 22 with a physical disability, six people with intellectual disability and three with the cerebral palsy and only one with right of cramp dystonia. This is our uh, profile of uh, students with disabilities at the moment. So you can uh, look at this uh, figure again. Um, the distribution of them, around three people studying in the Faculty of Economics and Business, 15 students at the moment studying at Social and Political Science, one student in Agricultural Technology, 11 in Cultural Studies, 3% in administrative sign, 19, this is the most popular, they are studying in vocational studies and two in natural science and mathematics, four in agriculture, 10 in communication science, four in law, five in engineering, and only one in fisheries and oceanic science. That's our uh, student distribution at the moment uh, based on the faculty or uh, discipline. Looking at the current job, we have 58 students that's already graduated. It's about 11 working as a government employees, about 18 working in the private sector, 11 in active, as a activists in some organization, and number four, around 15 to be the entrepreneur, and only two working in government estate. This is the profile of the, our graduate. It means, uh, I think this is quite, quite uh, good. Yeah, it's about 15 students at the moment. They already graduated and got a job. Yeah, it means that uh, I think we already, uh, what is something like, uh, just improve our confidence, but this is a very, very important education in the future for that kind of student. And because of that, uh, I think we are happy as a student. We have a webinar just to share our experience with all of you. This is the last uh, section of my presentation. So if you look at this timeline activity achievement in Brawijaya University, we started in 2017 with what is something like uh, collaborate with the British Council to did what is something like uh, art disability mapping yeah, in our university. And also with the commanders, commanders stand for Kementerian uh, Desa. It is the, the village uh, minister of village affair. Yeah? Mm -hmm. And we have a program of inclusive village yeah, since 2017. And also, we have a collaboration with USID uh, on the program. It's called IO Inclusive or Common Inclusive, is something in, in uh, English. In 2018, we also collaborated with the Asia Foundation. It's an unfakih of disability and giving something like a foundation of religious. Uh, we are thinking so support the disability education. So and then also uh, we collaborated with 
with the Ministry of uh, Education and Culture, especially through Directorate General of Higher Education, about teaching innovation. And also in 2018, we had also conference collaboration with IDRAN. And currently, in 2019 and 2020, with Platrop, we have youth training in inclusive public policy making, and also an NLR foundation about Down syndrome assessment, yeah? together with NLR foundation on Down syndrome assessment, and with United Nations uh, of Zero uh, project. Again, in 2020, we also have an international seminar with IDRAN, and just recently, we received international recognition through Zero Project Award that already mentioned by our Vice Rector for Planning and uh, Collaboration Program. He represented the University of Brawijaya just to receive that award, that award at uh, Vienna, uh, Austria. So when we, uh, at the time, we, we didn't know actually about uh, what, what kind of award. When we look at the website, and then we found some information on what happened actually with our program. So actually, the admission quota and support services for university enrollment has become one of the uh, flagship from our university and because of that, there is the reason for awarding the award. Uh, this is the picture uh, where Professor Sasmito Jati is a past rector for uh, planning and collaboration, uh, received the award at Vienna, uh, Austria. And maybe a, I think it is, it is uh, probably uh, important also just to let you know so what, what kind of award that, why we received that award. First, because University of Pravija is considered successfully supporting the affirmative admission program for students with disabilities and also the recognition, the program uh, by Zero Project yeah, on innovative uh, practices and then also zero project as you know that was initiated by the east foundation in 2008 and focus on right of person with disabilities globally in collaboration with united nations i think this is the three reasons why bravija university received the, the award some uh, gallery of, of services maybe i'd like just to share with you this is the situation of admission selection for students with disability. And also we have a peer support and tutorial. And we also established the car for disabled just to have uh, some of them just to travel from, from building to building in our university. And also uh, there is also uh, disability awareness, the sign language, the uh, translator also, we are now uh, building the number more and more is to be distributed in many faculties. And also 
the disability awareness uh, event, how to work with visually impaired person. I think this one is some of the education also, not only for the, the disabled person, but also for the normal person. Uh, and then they can help uh, anytime when someone uh, required uh, uh, assistance. Yeah? <clears throat> also disability awareness, how to operate wheelchairs, because maybe some people actually they do not know how to operate with wheelchair. This is a one of our activity in Brawija University. And also uh, scholarship announcement, soft skill improvement training, work ethic, writing skill, teaching innovation, uh, training for lecturers, <coughs> disability awareness program for university staff, also conducting sport and hobbies activities, and last but not least, also technologically aided devices uh, such as book, digitalization, softwares, and application creation uh, by uh, students in, in Brawija University also uh, become one of our routine activities just to help uh, the disabilities uh, in learning uh, and social life in, in the campus of Brawijaya University. <clears throat> so I come into my conclusion. I would like to cite it. <coughs> Sorry. <clears throat> what the late process of the president, Franklin D. Roosevelt, he said, we know that equality of individual ability has never existed and never will. But we do insist that equality of opportunity still must be solved. Thank you very much for your attention. Thank you, Professor Sutanto. Uh, you've really set the context there uh, around the importance uh, of the principles of education for all, and you've given us an excellent background on your institution's activities and the profile uh, of your student cohort. Uh, I would like to introduce our, our next panellist, but before I do that, uh, I just want to, to make an announcement. If you are unable to see the... Apologies, I was just muted there. I'm not quite sure why. Um, <laughs> Apologies, I'm not quite sure why I was um, muted there, but uh, if you are unable to see uh, interpreters on the screen, please do change your settings from speaker view to gallery view uh, and see if that helps. Uh, and if not, please do send us a message through the chat. Uh, but it is my uh, pleasure to invite our next speaker, the Director of Educational Development and Quality Assurance uh, at Universitas Brawijaya, uh, Dr. Ahmad Wichaksono. So please um, welcome uh, Dr. Ahmad to the uh, webinar. Thank you, uh, Dr. Rebecca. Good morning. Uh, for all in Indonesia and good afternoon for all uh, ladies and gentlemen in Australia. I would like to share my presentation, please. Uh, can you see my presentation? It's okay. Yep, 
we can see it. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I would like to explain uh, what is uh, the organization uh, conducting the services for the inclusive education practices in industrial area, which is uh, uh, the Educational Development and Quality Assurance uh, Institute uh, in uh, Brawijaya. And I am the director of this uh, institute. Uh, this institute have a vision. Uh, the vision is uh, to be a qualified institution that provides excellent educational and quality assurance services to lead uh, Universal Brawijaya to become a world-class uh, entrepreneurial university. Uh, and we have uh, two missions. One is to performing an excellent service on educational development and quality assurance yeah, to maintain a reputable, qualified, and getting for both recognized nationally and internationally accredited study program in Ontario. So uh, actually the main uh, activity is on the accreditation of the study program uh, about 180 study program in uh, Universitas Brawijaya and the second mission is to provide excellent service to improve the quality of human resource and play an active role to empower society through various professional training to meet the stakeholder satisfaction this is also in the field of this uh, inclusive services yeah we have uh, the Centers for Disability Studies. So the objective of uh, our institute is one, to improve the quality of education by conducting professional training for staff. This is the academic staff and also the administrative staff yeah, in the whole Universitas uh, Jaya to improve their competency, morality, professionalism, responsibility, personal development, and competitiveness at both national and international level. Uh, that's why uh, before Professor Hendrawan has uh, already told us that uh, uh, there are activities like uh, disability awareness yeah, for uh, academic staff and also for the uh, administrative staff. The second objective is to improve the quality of research in the field of educational and community service to increase public welfare at both national and international level in collaboration with research and community service institution of uh, Universitas Brawijaya. There is also the other institute in uh, Brawijaya uh, regarding with research and community. And the, the Center for Disability Studies is also conducting some research uh, collaborating uh, with uh, this, uh, uh, what we call as uh, Research and Community Service Institute to improve the quality of education and training sustainably for world-class entrepreneurial university is, my, is our uh, destiny to become the world-class entrepreneurial university and then to do the community services by collaborating with affiliated institution for human resource development, including uh, collaborating with Latrop University uh, thank you very much for this uh, fruitful uh, collaboration. Uh, our motto is a uh, qualified human resource, uh, limitless achievement. Yeah. So how do we do? Uh, how do we support the inclusive practices? Uh, so as I mentioned before, there is a, a center for disability studies and services 
as we call as a PSLD. Uh, the center is to provide disability support for students with disabilities. In addition to this center, we have uh, another uh, 10 centers, uh, two centers is this one, Center for Learning Activities and Technology Development, which is also uh, giving a contribution to how to teach the disability with the technology, and the Center for Development of Educational Relevance. This is related with the curriculum. Uh, the Center for Education Management Development, and then the Center for the Quality Assurance, and the other six centers. Uh, I think time is not enough if I explain one by one. So, uh, what the PSLD or the Center for Disability Studies uh, do, uh, as, I, uh, as Professor Hendrawan also said, the training and seminars. For example, for the lecturer's training, there is an inclusive teaching session for the training for the new lecturer, what we call as Pakarti. So the new lecturers uh, will aware that uh, if there is a student uh, with a disability, how he has to do. Yeah. Academic advisor training, especially for disability, how to handle if there is a psychological problem. Yeah. First uh, uh, taken by the academic advisor, but if it is not uh, uh, clear uh, solution than we uh, do in uh, our centers. And then international seminar on learning innovation for student disability. And also for the staff, academic staff and administration staff, yeah, uh, inclusive service training for academic and administrative staff, the sign language training for academic and administrative staff actually. And we have some international cooperation. Uh, one, what we have uh, to do uh, today also is the uh, University of Malaysia and Latrobe University. We already have uh, the IDRAN, the organized the biennial international conference on disability and diversity. And we produce a book guide on inclusive online course for the Ministry of Education, the guide on online course for blind students, and the guide on online course for student with physical disability. This is the two books that already uh, made during the fruitful uh, collaboration with the Latrobe uh, University. Uh, we have this uh, two books already produced and uh, we give to the Ministry of uh, Education and Culture to use this as a guidance for the uh, university student. Yeah. I think that one for uh, uh, my presentation. Thank you very much for this opportunity and hope of have a, a fruitful discussion today. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you, Dr. Ahmad. Uh, we might be able to return to some of those initiatives that you mentioned in your presentation during the Q&A, but it was terrific to get a rundown of the things that your institute, uh, the activities that your institute is engaged in. So, and, and of course, the collaboration between our universities. So uh, thank you for that. Uh, our next presenter is from the Centre of Disability Studies and Services at uh, Universitas Jaya, and it is Elise Lintang. So uh, please uh, welcome uh, Elise uh, to the, uh, I guess it's a stage, to the webinar. Uh, I look forward to, to listening to, uh, to, to, to what you have to say on this topic. Okay, thank you so much, Rebecca. Uh, is it my voice clear? Yep, you sound yep. great. 
Okay, thank you. So I would like to share my presentation from another devices. Uh, let me let me start my presentation here. Okay, uh, wait a minute. Uh, okay. Um, Okay, so um, good morning, everyone. Uh, good morning, Rebecca, Diana, and also another uh, other panelists, uh, Professor uh, Hendrawan, Professor Sasmita Jati, and also uh, Professor uh, Pak Sony uh, as the representative from LP3M. Um, uh, my name is Alice Putrilintang Sari. I am coordinating the disability support in uh, Center for Disability Studies and Services in Universitas Pawijaya. So today I'm going to focus on sharing uh, the inclusive supports and services in Universitas Pawijaya. So what we have done in the late eight years and uh, what are the challenges and what are the lessons learned. So uh, my presentation will focus on five topics. The first one is a very, very short overview on Center uh, for Disability Studies and Services. And then the second one is the student supports. And then the third is the lecturer and staff supports that we have provided for the late eight years. And the fourth one is the inclusive services and uh, close to by the challenges. So, uh, okay, so I start with the first topic. So uh, Center for Disability Studies and Services, uh, well, uh, the main role of the center is to provide and to encourage uh, disability inclusion in higher educational contexts. Uh, it is mainly divided into two divisions. The first one is the research division, and then the second one is the services or support division. For the research division, we organize an academic journal. Uh, it is called as the Indonesian Journal of Disability Studies. And currently, we are conducting a research on uh, Index for Disability Inclusion in collaboration with uh, Ministry of Education. And the second one is Need Analysis of Counseling Services. And the third, student admission evaluation. And the fourth is the inclusive services mapping in Universitas Brawijaya. So uh, this is uh, our ongoing research that we still deal with it. And then the second one is the services division. So um, broadly, the services uh, can be accessed by these three, uh, these three, uh, subjects. The first one is the services for the students. And then the second one is the services for the lecturers. And then the, the last is for the staffs. Now I will start by sharing about the student support for uh, the student support in our centers. Uh, well, the student support deals with the students with disabilities and then the students without disabilities, which both of them aim at supporting the participation of students with disability in inclusive contexts and cultivating inclusive culture and disability awareness. 
So there are six kind of supports that we provide for students with disabilities in Universitas Brawijaya. The first one is peer support. So um, it is in class academic support for students with disabilities. And uh, the peer supporter are the students of Universitas Brawijaya who are recruited and trained uh, with the disability awareness training, disability etiquette, and the sign language training. And we conduct the recruitment for about three until five times a year. And for each recruitment, there are for about 40 until 60 students were participated. So currently we have for about uh, 150 uh, peer supporter uh, each, uh, each year. So um, the type of support are different, depend on the disability type. So the common type of supports are note-taking, sign language interpreting, and mobility supports, and also typist. And then the, the next, uh, it, is an, it is called enabling. So enabling is the... Um, and based uh, action that help us with I think we've lost Alice's uh, schedule into the apps and then the rest the app will do the scheduling automatically. Soon after the uh, peer supporter updated and input their schedule in the apps, uh, both of the student with disabilities and also the peer supporter will be notified about who are the peer supporter and who are the students that they are going to support. And then once the peer support finished, uh, the students with disabilities should uh, click the finish button and they can input the feedbacks, they can input the commands as well as the uh, peer supporters also can do the same. So these data are very beneficial for us uh, to evaluate our peer support program. And then the second support, uh, it is called as the peer tutoring. Uh, it is off-class academic support for students with disabilities. Uh, who are the peer tutor? Uh, yeah, the peer tutor is the students of Universitas Brawijaya, who uh, similar to a peer supporter, but uh, which make it different that uh, peer tutor requires a, a specific candidate. Uh, and it is uh, very tentative based on requirements because uh, peer tutor should meet some specific criteria such as um, the, 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 the first one is they should have the same disciplines with the students that they are support because peer tutoring deals with uh, giving a support on extra lesson and thesis writing assistance. So this is writing assistance deals with thesis supervision support, writing assistance specifically accessed by deaf students. As we know that most of deaf students are struggling with uh, written production. So uh, our peer tutor usually provide them with the proofreading and editing and deals with uh, explaining such kind of a complex 
terms related with their writing thesis and so on. And also sign language interpreting used uh, during supervision and during the thesis, the thesis defense. And then the third one is the capacity building. So it is soft skills training for students with disabilities. Uh, the participant of this program are students with disabilities and also the peer supporter. So the point of this program is to support the academic skills, self-awareness and resilience of the students with disabilities. Um, why we need to conduct this program? So as we know that the disability inclusion in higher education is quite new in Indonesia and most of our uh, students are not well prepared to enter higher education. Uh, it means that their element and their secondary education do not prepare them for higher education. So most of them, especially who are coming from special needs schools are not ready yet to be to learn in inclusive context. So this program uh, is conducted to facilitate and to improve their college readiness and college engagement. So in this program, we usually also uh, use it as the gathering session when all of the CADSS members are gathered and uh, getting to know each other. And then the to cultivate sign language development in Universitas Paljaya. So that is why we also uh, we run this program to regenerate uh, deaf, deaf teachers to teach sign language to the hearing peer. And uh, the students of the sign language teachings are usually the peer supporter, the uh, general students, the lecturers, and also the staffs. The first one is the counseling. It is a psychological support and uh, students with disabilities and the peer supporter can access these services. And the commonly issues who, all, uh, who, is usual, uh, who are usually consulted are related with the academic matters, family and finance, college life adaptation, the most one, uh, the most favorite topic. And then the last one is friendships. And also there are another topics that usually students uh, consult with our counselor. And then the sixth one, uh, and then the last is the book digitation. So it is a converting printed book into accessible PDF book. Uh, it is accessed by blind students. It is, um, uh, uh, we, we cooperate with our to convert the printed book into accessible PDF book. So we, all, we still have a common issues related to this. The first one is the length of the time uh, of the process book digitation. Usually it takes two until three weeks and it's very long. Sometimes the students are really needed and we cannot afford it as fast as possible since we are still lack of the accessibility and tools to help us in book digitation. And then, okay, so I'm trying to uh, make it fast. The, the next slides is support for students without disabilities. We believe that students without disabilities play a very important role in cultivating the inclusive 
culture in Universitas Brawijaya. Therefore, we have some programs that help them to help us cultivate the inclusive culture in our university. The first one is the disability awareness training. Uh, it deals with the disability etiquette and sign language training. Uh, the participant of this program are the peer supporter, the peer tutor, and also the accessibility team. Sometimes you also invite uh, the student from students' uh, affairs to, in, to, uh, to make the students' activities more inclusive for the student with disabilities. Um, it is today's training and also we have intensive sign language training for about um, seven until 10 meetings and we also have accessibility training how to uh, how to organize document design so it is accessible for blind students how to add alternative text how to add a correct heading and so on and also captioning and the second one is the sign language interpreter for students' activities. So uh, as you know that our students' community have a very, uh, have a very, uh, have a very rigid activities. They tend to have a webinar, workshop, and other community activities. And we provide uh, services for sign language interpreters Rather free, so their webinar, their workshop, and their activities can be accessible for deaf students. And then, sign language online dictionary it can be accessed for everyone. Uh, we are still uh, organizing it and improving the vocabulary of the sign language dictionary. But until now, we are still using it to help our peer supporter improving their sign language fluency. And the next one is the support for lecturer and staffs. So support for lecturer and staff uh, aims at supporting lecturers in providing accessible scores and supporting lecturers in supervising students with disabilities. Uh, for the staffs, it aims at supporting staff to be provide accessible services. So, um, the support that we provide for the lecturers, the first one is the inclusive teaching guides. So it, uh, it is in form of flyers, video books about inclusive teaching method and the strategies. Uh, we give it for the lecturer in every semester. We also put it in our social media. We also share it by the WhatsApp group. We also email it through mailing list. So we have tried so many ways to reach the lecturers to get these sources. And then the content of these guides is about the types of the disabilities, the concept of the universal design learning, the adaptive curriculum, accommodation, and then the models of the inclusive teaching. And then the second one is the accessibility services. Uh, so it is kind of the services to help lecturers preparing accessible course, such as resources, assessment, evaluation, to make their learning video more uh, accessible by providing the caption and so on. And then inclusive teaching trainings and webinar. Yeah, so uh, each year we conduct for about two until three training for lecturers to be uh, more accessible in uh, guiding inclusive class. 
So for the staffs, uh, as as uh, already explained by Pak Sony, well, we also have inclusive service training for the staff. So this. I think we've lost Alice again. Hopefully she'll come back. And but still we have uh, challenges uh, in encouraging inclusive practices in higher education. The first one is the accessibility devices and software uh, such as OCR output based scanner that will make us more uh, responsive in uh, book digitization and other assistive technology, accessible library and resources, lecturer awareness and competence in facilitating inclusive class. So I think that we need more intensive and extensive training. Lack of sign language interpreters, the improvement of the app, uh, of the enabling app, academic support for students with autism and students with intellectual disabilities, models of inclusive classroom, college transition, and a bit of infrastructure. So these are the challenges that we are still trying to deal with. Well, okay, so I think I have, um, I have elaborated what I would like to say. Uh, thank you so much for your attentive participation. Uh, Rebecca, uh, the floor. Back to you. Thank you, Elise. Thank you. This is a terrific uh, presentation. Uh, you've really given us a, a, a picture of the uh, progress that you and your colleagues have made in dealing with some of the challenges in creating an inclusive culture. Uh, but also the last slide uh, was a little bit uh, uh, just the, the, the number of challenges that still exist. Um, yeah. I think that uh, we will be yeah, able yeah, to yeah. come back to some of those issues in, in the Q&A as well. Uh, but my next present, and our next Thank presenter. Thank you, Rebecca. No worries. Thank you, Elise. Um, our next presenter is Anthony Gartner, who is the manager uh, of the Equity and Diversity Group at La Trobe University. So welcome, Anthony. The floor is yours. Thanks, Rebecca. Uh, good afternoon or good morning, everybody. I will just share my screen. I have some slides um, oh, that have just vanished. Um, sorry. Um, I had them all set up and they vanished. There we go. Share. There we go. I think that, can you see them now? Yeah. Okay. Um, so I, I'm going to talk a little bit this afternoon about um, Latrobe's approach to supporting students with disability. And I have a few PowerPoint slides here, which I will move through quickly and uh, see if I can provide some relevant information for you. So firstly, why do we provide support to students living with disability? What are our legal obligations? So we have the Disability Discrimination Act and the Disability Standards for Education Act, which govern the provision of all education services in Australia. And that requires us to make reasonable adjustments to ensure that a student living with disability is able to participate in their education on the same basis as any other student. Adjustments are reasonable if they do not provide unfair advantage to the student concerned 
or if they don't unfairly disadvantage other students, and they must maintain the academic integrity and course requirements of the study program. The interests and wishes of the student are significant, and we spend a lot of time talking with the student to understand their skills and also the areas where they may need support. We also ask the students to provide a statement from their treating health professional, which verifies the information and gives us some uh, additional uh, information on reasonable adjustments. Uh, so who provides the support to students living with disability? The short answer is everyone in the university is asked to support those students, but in particular, academics uh, need to make the reasonable adjustments to ensure that the student can participate. So that includes making sure that information is presented in an accessible format, that videos are captioned or transcribed where necessary, and that uh, any tests or exams that the students sit uh, have what we call equitable uh, assessment arrangements put in place, which means that the student might get additional time, they might get to use a computer for the exam, uh, or on occasions, uh, software that will help them participate. What disabilities are covered under our disability legislation? Basically all forms of disability. So that's physical, sensory, medical, uh, mobility, psychological, psychiatric, neurological, and learning difficulties, also acquired brain injury. And we also make adjustments for people who are primary carers of someone living with a disability too. The important thing for us to know is that no two people experience a disability in the same way. And so we don't have a blanket set of adjustments. We negotiate on an individual basis with every student. And what we're looking for is the impact of the disability on that student's ability to participate. So it's not so much about what is the um, diagnosed condition of the student, it's more about how does that actually impact on their ability to participate. La Trobe University currently has 18, 1,835 students registered with equity and diversity out of a total student population of maybe 38,000 or so. So it's quite a few students and uh, I'll read out the numbers for, uh, because it's not an accessible slide and I apologize for that. But we have, of the 1835, we have 326 students with medical conditions, 161 with specific learning disabilities, 95 with autism or Asperger's, um, about 90 with physical or mobility impairments, 83 students who are carers of someone else living with disability. Uh, we have 54 refugee students registered with us, but we don't uh, provide reasonable adjustments because someone is a refugee, but rather because they have uh, um, difficulties that we can support them with. We have 27 students who are deaf or hard of hearing. We have 24 who are blind or have low vision. We have 16 with an acquired brain injury. 
and we have uh, 16 and 12, 28 with other forms of disability. So, but the important one is that we have 931 students who have a mental health condition. And that can be anything from depression and anxiety through to quite serious psychiatric conditions. Now that's a big number of our students and of all of the categories, it's the mental health conditions that is the one that continuously increases. So um, we have had this year about a 20% increase on last year in terms of our students that we're supporting. And uh, some of that is due to COVID and due to the transition uh, to online learning. And some is due to an increasing number of students who are willing to declare that they have a disability and in particular, a mental health condition. So for these students, what do we do? We negotiate a learning access plan and it's a set of recommended adjustments. They are negotiated by our accessibility advisors and in consultation with the student and they're based on the impact of the disability, the health professional's recommendation, the needs of the student and uh, the accessibility advisor's knowledge of the course or program in which the student's involved. We also liaise with academic staff to ensure that the adjustments recommended are appropriate for the course of study. Sometimes we get questions around uh, if a learning access plan uh, may compromise the academic integrity of a subject. And we have a fairly clear response to that. So it is, it is essential that the academic requirements are met, but it is also essential that we make adjustments to the best of our ability to support students to participate. So we discuss those adjustments with the academics, with the student, and we look for solutions. So if one way doesn't work, we look for a different way that enables the student to participate, but still meet the academic requirements. So we ask questions around what is it that is being assessed? Is it a student's ability to spell correctly, or is it their ability to convey an idea, for example? Does a student need to present in front of a classroom if they have anxiety, or can they present directly to the academic, or could they present to a camera and submit a recording of their presentation? So there are many ways to ensure that a student is assessed on their learning rather than on the way that they communicate that learning. Only when all reasonable adjustments have been explored and there are no options available, only then can we say that we, um, we can't make the adjustments. If we do that, we have a good chance of having to defend that decision in front of the Australian Human Rights Commission. So we work very hard to make the adjustments to ensure that that never happens. It does happen sometimes, but not very often. So some examples of the things that we do to support students, we uh, provide assistive technology such as Glean or Sonocent Audio Note Taker or Otter and they're simple programs that the students can use to assist them to take notes uh, or to produce a live transcript 
of um, a video conversation or a lecture so they can download this material, these programs on their phone and use them in lectures or tutorials. We may ask uh, academics to provide extensions for students. We may ask um, for the alternative exam arrangements that I mentioned earlier. So a student may have extra reading or writing time during an exam. They may have split exams. So they sit half one morning and half the next morning. They may sometimes only be able to sit one exam in a day. So we work with the student to make sure that all those adjustments are put in place. And why we do that, I have a little slide here and I'll describe that. So we have um, a, a picture that represents the difference between equality and equity. So in the first picture, you see three children, all of different heights, all standing on the same box. That represents equality because everybody is given the same thing. But unfortunately, only two of the three children can see over the fence because the third child is too small to see. And so equality doesn't work. The second picture we have equity, where each student is given what they need. So the tallest child doesn't have any box. The middle child has one box and the smallest child has two boxes. Therefore, they can all see over the fence. The final picture, there are no boxes and there is no fence. And ultimately, that is what we seek to create is an environment where there are, in fact, no fences for students living with disability, and they're freely able to participate on the same basis as any other student. One of the things that we do is we encourage disclosure. So we, we welcome students actually telling us about their disability and we address shame. And I think to really address the needs of people with disability, you have to make it okay for them to declare that they have a disability. You have to make it safe for them to do that and done in such a way that they don't experience shame. And that's really important. That is why we have such a high number of students, perhaps 5% or more of our student population uh, has declared that they have a disability. And I think uh, that's something that we, we all need to keep in mind that it must be safe. Otherwise students will not tell us about their disability and we won't be able to make the adjustments. So um, I'm happy to answer questions at the end of the session, uh, but I will hand back to Rebecca at this point. Thank you. Thank you so much, Anthony. I love that visual. Um, it's really useful in explaining the difference between equality and equity and also that goal of trying to uh, get rid of the fence. Uh, I think that's a, a really nice way of explaining what it is that we're, we're trying to do here. Uh, we are sort of running a little bit behind, um, but our next presenter is from a PhD candidate, Beth Radulski, who uh, has been doing quite a lot of work uh, for La Trobe University in this space and is also uh, doing research uh, on uh, disability support and education. So please welcome Beth.
Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Couldn't hear you at the start, but we can hear <laughs> Sorry, you. Sorry, I was still <laughs> muted. Thank you for the introduction. <laughs> um, I'm going to go ahead and share my slides and then I'll go ahead and get started. Um, so thank you everyone for being here. Uh, like Beck said, I am a PhD candidate at La Trobe University and I'm also the project officer for neurodiversity. So I'm going to speak to you today about um, how we support autistic and neurodiverse students in academia uh, and what we do to take a cultural approach to, like Anthony was saying, improving equity um, as opposed to equality. So um, because my research is based partly in my lived experience, um, I'm an autistic person myself. So I thought I would start by speaking about how I came into academia and um, what my challenges were and how I ultimately ended up um, in the role that I'm in today. So uh, when I first started in my education as a child, I was quite good in primary school, but as I emerged into high school, I started having a lot of academic difficulty. Um, I failed ninth grade and half of 10th grade. So I was very far behind my peers as a teenager. Um, I now know that I was dyscalculic. So I really struggled with math and sciences and things like chemistry, which is not at all stereotypical <laughs> for an autistic person actually. Um, but I really struggled with a lot of those areas, even though I had big strengths in writing and English and um, creative arts um, and other areas of study. So after a very difficult high school experience, I was very nervous about starting university. Um, my first university experience, I did okay, but I found it very demanding and exhausting and I dropped out after a year. I tried, I think, three different college courses um, in our TAFE program in Australia. So these were shorter and more hands-on courses in music and childcare. Um, and again, I found it very difficult to meet the demands of those courses and independently managing my studies. So when I came back to do my undergraduate degree at La Trobe, I was almost 25. I'd had a series of academic failures and I was finding it really challenging, um, the thought of going back to university. And sort of by coincidence, I ended up finding out midway through my degree, that was when I found out that I'm autistic which I'd never known up until that point in my life. So all of these failures were really out of context and confusing to me. I felt like I worked very hard and didn't achieve half of what my peers could achieve putting in much less work. So this time I thought, well, you know, I think there are a lot of autistic traits that could actually benefit my education. And I started looking for ways that I could implement those strengths into my study habits. So for example, I'm very systematic. And as a researcher, that's a great trait to have because I could, 
I loved doing literature reviews and searching for new bibliography sources and organizing them and picking out the information that I could use to put into my essays. I learned that essays were less overwhelming if I had a good system and I knew how to write a paragraph step by step and how to build an argument step by step. Um, all sorts of little skills like that that really ended up benefiting my education. So once I graduated, I ended up going into an honors degree and ultimately um, began a PhD. And here I am now having failed high school, but I'm a PhD candidate um, because, and moving on to my next slide, um, I didn't just try to change myself. I tried to change the way that I engaged with academia. So now in my role as project officer, I'm really interested not in looking at the individual and trying to fix the individual, but trying to change the culture. So as a university, I'm interested in saying, what can we do not just to acknowledge and support the limitations of these students, but how can we actually look at their strengths and make sure that we as a university can support those strengths? So we're doing this in a number of ways. Um, we've started delivering training programs to various uh, departments in the university. So these include academic staff, equity and diversity staff, student support counselors, and making sure that these staff know how to respectfully engage, know what kinds of questions to ask their students, know what limitations they might face, but also know what strengths they might have that can help them in their studies. And going beyond training, we've developed a cultural sensitivity guide. So what does it mean to be autistic in, in a social sense? What does it mean to engage with someone and disclose that you're autistic and have them respond positively? Oftentimes, if I was thinking about, do I want to disclose this? Um, I know my colleague Anthony spoke a lot about disclosure rates and wanting to get those rates up. So what are the barriers to disclosure? I know that I worried I'd be defined by my limitations and not my strengths. Um, so again, when we speak about the issue of equity as a cultural issue, how can we change our culture so that when I as a student disclose to my supervisor that I'm autistic, instead of going, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that, they might say, what does that mean to you? How can I support you with that? you know, how can that help with your studies and what can I do to support any challenges or barriers to inclusion you might be experiencing right now? So my, my approach is really sociological in nature. Um, I'm trained as a sociologist, so my approach is very much looking at the culture of an institution and, and the background culture that that institution exists in. So how do people understand disability? How do people understand neurodiversity? And um, working to change that culture. So I think the final uh, note that I'll work on in terms of discussing cultural change is getting a better definition of what is neurodiversity. Um, and this is sometimes a difficult concept uh, to convey, but I think the best way of explaining it is to say that neurodiversity is the idea that there isn't necessarily one healthy normal brain and, and a spectrum of different disordered brains 
Um, this, this idea would generally say, you know, if there are disordered brains and we want them to function at our university, those disordered brains should try to get as close to normal as possible if they want to achieve success. Oftentimes, um, that's just not the case. So with neurodiversity, we'd say, if this is how we understand it now, rather than having a normal brain and a bunch of disordered brains, let's try to acknowledge that there are many different kinds of brains. They may all have different strengths. They may all have different limitations. And what can we do as a society to make it more equitable for each of those different people with different brains and different strengths and different limitations to access education? How can we improve equity um, that's not based on the person's limitations, but is based also on their strengths. Um, so just to summarize, I suppose the key take home message here would be that at Latrobe, what we're doing with the neurodiversity project is really trying to address cultural inequalities and inequities and ensure that students who have what I refer to as minority neurotypes are not excluded from education on the basis of limitations, but are rather included, accommodated for in their limitations and encouraged to make the most of their strengths. Um, so if you'd like more information, um, I, I'm not gonna go into too much more detail. This is more of a visual representation of what I've spoken about. It's really taking a multifaceted approach to cultural change. Um, and if you'd like more information on that and what that looks like, um, Latrobe's recently signed on as a neurodiversity hub institution. So I'd encourage you to visit um, neurodiversityhub.org because there are some excellent resources built by and in collaboration with people with minority neurotypes regarding how um, universities can seek to become more equitable. So I'll sign off there because I can see that Beck's video has popped up um, and hopefully um, I've explained myself all right. And I'm really looking forward to hearing the rest of the presentation. So thank you everyone for coming. Thank you, Beth. It's terrific to, to hear about your experiences uh, in higher education. I think that was um, really useful uh, for us to, to listen to and appreciate um, where you've come from uh, and the sorts of um, things that you're doing uh, to improve uh, things for other students living with disability. Uh, our final presentation before we move into the Q and A uh, is will be uh, our final presenter. Sorry, will be Ramas McRae. Uh, he is a lecturer uh, at La Trobe University and. Auslan coordinator. So welcome, Ramis. I'm looking forward uh, to hearing your presentation. Wonderful. Thank you, Rebecca. Can I just check people can hear? Yes. Wonderful. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you once again for the introduction, Rebecca. I'm very excited to be here to share my experiences as a deaf person with a lived experience and also this collaboration with UB and La Trobe University. <clears throat> so just a brief introduction and then I'll kick off with the further slides. Introducing myself, 
I wasn't born in Australia. I was born in northeastern Europe in a country known as Lithuania. And you can see it on the world globe there in the red square. So a very small country in northeastern Europe. Growing up as a young child in Lithuania, I studied and then relocated to the UK. Most of you would know of the United Kingdom. I lived there for a number of years and then relocated to Australia and I now have roots here and I work at La Trobe University and I've settled with my family and I'm working here as an Auslan lecturer. During my upbringing, access to education wasn't seamless. I had a number of barriers that I faced similar to uh, some of the other speakers and uh, other people who had similar experiences at uh, UB, and I'll talk about those throughout my presentation. <clears throat> okay, so my journey in education, as you can see, I have three qualifications. I have studied, you might assume that I've had uh, faced perhaps uh, less barriers than some, which is not the case. In Lithuania, uh, back in 2001, the year 2000, in Lithuania, they didn't actually have students with disability attend university at that time. I was one of the first deaf cohorts to attend university in Lithuania. And as a student, I'll talk a little bit about my experience on the first day. I remember attending a lecture and it was extremely interesting. I booked sign language interpreters. I organized everything to run smoothly for my access requirements to attend the lecture on that day. It was a large auditorium. The interpreter was placed at the front. And obviously as a deaf student, you know, I'm not able to hide at the back of the room because I need to see my sign language interpreter, obviously. As the lecturer entered the room and started presenting the session, my interpreter naturally started signing to me the information that was being presented. And then the lecturer I noticed uh, stopped and paused and was curious as to what the interpreter was doing in the room and asked the interpreter, why are you here? What are you doing? The interpreter explained their role and said, this young man over here is deaf. I'm interpreting for a deaf student. Then the lecturer asked, why do we have a deaf student in this course? Has he completed school? Can he read and write? Does he know how to write? And these questions were being asked of me. I'd already completed high school. I was academically approved, yet he was uncertain. Then he went to meet with people higher up in the faculty and then came back and then let me know that yes, I had been approved to continue my study in this course. That yeah, had a, an absolutely huge impact on me. My first day being told that I couldn't be successful and those negative impacts continue. Once I achieved those academic requirements, looking at the English spoken language, naturally that's not my first language. My first language was sign language as a profoundly deaf person. That meant I had other barriers, but those barriers were resolved through communication, interpreting and other initiatives. More recently, I've decided to apply for my PhD at La Trobe University, and hopefully I will have some success in that area. Okay, I'll just talk about some definitions of deafness because often 
we are labelled as one homogenous group, and that's not necessarily the case. We're a diverse subgroup of people within deafness. So first of all, we're looking at those who are capital D deaf, like myself, who are, uh, are born profoundly deaf, and you'll see the lowercase d deaf, which represents a different group of people. So the capital D deaf people includes individuals like myself, where sign language is their first language and prominent language. We also have those individuals who are hard of hearing, who have some residual hearing. They may use sign language or may prefer to speak as their mode of communication. Thirdly, we do have deaf blind individuals. So those who have a vision impairment and some level of deafness, and again, that would vary. The, the reason why I've raised these three categories is because when you're a university looking at service provision, we shouldn't assume that every individual has the same requirement, like the previous speaker said. So one person might need captioning, another person might need sign language interpretation, another deaf person may require uh, audio loops for their T-switch on their hearing aids. So we are all uniquely different. Okay, looking at this uh, next slide, I actually come from a deaf family. And I often talk about sign language being my primary language or first language. And some people may be curious about this. So yes, my parents are deaf. Sign language is my first language. Throughout the world, probably only 5% of deaf individuals come from deaf parents or deaf families. So sign language is their first language. However, for 95% of deaf signing individuals, the majority of them come from hearing parents. One out of four parents generally will learn how to sign. The other three out of the four generally don't learn to sign for their child. So this means that first language acquisition can be an issue and has an impact. And you have some individuals who learn to sign or speak and both. And then some individuals are disadvantaged by the approaches they take. We also have that third category there, those who are born with regular hearing, and then they may be impacted by gradual hearing loss over time and continue to use spoken communication. And at times these individuals may not need to learn how to communicate using sign language. Again, when we, you're looking at service provision, it is important to consider at the university, the type of uh, language provision is preferred by the individual, whether it's a spoken language or a sign language. And again, this is diverse according to the diverse range of people that you're servicing. This is just a short video clip that I wanted to show you to demonstrate the importance of education, whether the parents are deaf or the parents can hear, what future opportunities and impacts can occur when you start from childhood as a deaf baby, the educational impacts and what can occur to influence the success or unsuccess rate of those individual babies.
Okay, so that's fairly simple. I don't need to elaborate what you saw in the video, but the focus is early acquisition. Earlier, the earlier you have communication with a baby or child, the future success is more likely. That's the point of the video that I was demonstrating. From time to time, whether it's society or universities as a whole, people consider the person with a disability to experience the barrier and immediately label the person as ineffective or having a deficit and not considering the benefits or the gains society could benefit from by having a person with a disability being part of society and the influence they hold. And I'll just elaborate a little bit further on this concept shortly. So I'm not talking as the wider cohort of people with a disability, but deaf people and what deaf people can contribute to society in terms of access and their contribution to society. Okay, I'll talk about this model. So if we look at deaf people historically, we've often been labeled as being disabled, hearing impaired, you're looking at the hearing deficit, barriers to education, there's been a lot of stigma around deafness, but the deaf community is wanting to look at this model in a different light. So we look at it from the perspective of deaf gain. So demonstrating our culture, not a medical model, but a social model, being proud individuals who are part of a deaf community, but also are able to contribute to wider society as well. I have a number of videos, but there's just one particular video I want to demonstrate. This looks at deaf gain and what deaf people provide to wider society as a contribution. It's one example. There's no sound. So looking at this video, as we can see, closed captions are not only utilised by deaf individuals, that has been of benefit to everybody else in society also, a universal benefit, if you like. 
So I'll talk about some inventors historically who've also contributed to the wider society. I assume that the majority of you would be aware of a car, an automobile, and the wing mirrors that cars and vehicles have throughout the globe. Historically, deaf people were not allowed to drive a vehicle without wing mirrors historically. So wing mirrors were actually invented by a deaf gentleman here that you can see on the, the left. So he invented the wing mirror, which now is a universal design used for all of the citizens of the globe. And that's an example where a deaf inventor created an initiative for deaf people and is now being used worldwide. Secondly, if we think about light, the light bulbs in your home, we have them in the universities, everywhere we attend. Again, another example of a deaf gentleman who invented the light, Alva, so inventing the light. If we didn't have these deaf individuals, I wonder whether we'd still be living, sitting under candlelight. Who knows, we may never know that answer. Thirdly, using the telephone. So historically, you'd remember the old type of phone that was used with a very different technology. Graham Bell, as you'd be aware, himself, he could hear, but his wife was deaf, and he was thinking about an invention particularly where his mother-in-law could communicate with his deaf wife and he invented the telephone. And now we see the use of telephones everywhere throughout the world. Of course, the technology is much more sophisticated than what it was. But again, another example of an invention either by deaf people or for deaf people. Remembering that each and every one of us gain from individuals who are deaf or have a disability, who knows what the world would look like without people or persons with disabilities and what we contribute to society. As we can see, inventions and innovations have come out of individuals who are disabled or deaf. And these are only a few examples I'm sharing. I don't have enough time within this 15 minutes to go through many other examples and achievements of deaf individuals who've created initiatives for everybody to utilize throughout the world. Last of all, it's important when we're dealing with universities and lecturers, when we do have students who enroll to study, that the students who attend the university, we need to look at them as in individuals contributing to the world and changing society and the world around us. It needs to be perceived as a positive and hopefully in the future, we will have more students with disabilities attend universities worldwide. Thank you. Thank you, Ramas. That was uh, another fascinating um, discussion. I learned a lot out of that, and I'm very grateful to you for sharing your personal experience as well. And I have to agree, I love closed captions, uh, particularly when watching movies uh, with accents that I can't fully catch. So um, thank you for that. Uh, we have hit Q&A, uh, but I do believe uh, that we have uh, a couple of uh, guest speakers joining us. Um, the first, uh, we, we have some students 
uh, Indonesian students who are currently living living with disabilities who have agreed to um, to briefly uh, join us uh, to tell us a little bit about their experience. So I might invite um, Allo is our first student just to um, to come on and and tell us a little bit about um, how they find being a student living with a disability. Uh, in, a, in an Indonesian university. Uh, I can see Allo. Yep, you're, you're off mute now. Can you hear me, Allo? Yes, hello. Welcome. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Thank you very much for... Rebecca starting here. Yeah. Mm, okay. So um, today, uh, now I'm gonna uh, tell you a short story uh, during my study in Bawijaya. So, so there are some advantage and disadvantage in Bawijaya University about the accessibility. So the first one, the advantage, um, they. Uh, uh is one of the most inclusive campus in Indonesia and it has it already have many good points for disabled students. I think it's one of the best is the volunteer program which helps a lot of disabled students during their study from the PSLD, uh, the disability services. And the disadvantage I think is um, still need some improvements in, in uh, infrastructures and also disability awareness. So some faculty, so some faculty buildings don't have accessible uh, infrastructure yet, such as lift, ramp, toilet for, for disabled. And as for disability awareness, sometimes I still see um, that people park their scooter without paying attention that they actually uh, block rampway and guiding block. And another advantage is that uh, Bawijaya University also gives scholarship for disabled students, which is very helpful, especially during this time of pandemic. Thank you. Um that's terrific uh, that you've shared your experiences there. I believe that we have uh, another student who has uh, been uh, willing to, to come into the presentation to also discuss their experience. So I'll invite um, Fadrin uh, to uh, turn on their videos uh, and uh, microphone and, and um, tell us a little bit about uh, their experiences uh, at university. Hello. Yeah, hello. Hello, we can hear you. Yes. <clears throat> Thanks for time for me. Yes. Maybe I'd like to introduce myself. My name is Andy Zulfadinsham and I'm a blind student. Now I'm studying at international relations. My department is international relations. Maybe um I want to share about the 
Center of Study and Disability Service. Yeah. Um, as a blind student, of course, uh, we cannot see the picture. We cannot see the graphic when the lecture uh, explain about the materials, but we have volunteers to help us to explain about that. And um, yeah, I'd say and about our university, I think our university is going to inclusive. Uh, it's not yet to be inclusive completely, but uh, my university has a in effort to be inclusive because we have PSLD or Center of Study and Disability Service. And from that uh, PSLD, the disability student have many um, help from them, from the volunteers. And maybe I can share about accessibility for the blind student in PSLD or Center of Study and Disability Service, there are digitalization for the materials or for the book. And the book um, can be scanning from the textbook to be soft file book. Um, the textbook will change to be like uh, Word and the PDF and it can be accessible for the blind student. And I hope uh, PSLD and or start center of study and disability service, not only for Brawijaya University and for much university or for many universities in Indonesia for other region, especially for the region um, is far from Java. Uh, maybe that's all from me uh, that I can share for this time. Uh, thank you. Again, this is uh, terrific to hear your experiences. So I'm very grateful um, for you joining in. Uh, and it's good to hear I'm an international relations person too. So it's very good to hear <laughs> from an international relations student. Uh, now, we are probably going to run a little bit over time. I hope that's okay uh, with everybody, just so we can get at least a couple of questions in. Uh, so the first question uh, I might direct to Dr. Ahmad. Um, and this is a question, and it's it's cropped up a couple of times in the Q&A, and I saw that you did um, put an answer in the Q&A. So I, I was just hoping that you could discuss um, the relationship between um, religious uh, beliefs or uh, cultural beliefs and, and conservatism and the uh, access to universal public services in Indonesia, especially uh, in universities and especially for people with disabilities. Yeah, <laughs> thank you, uh, Dr. Rebecca. <clears throat> I think uh, in Indonesia, we are uh, free to uh, uh, do the uh, religious activity and uh, with regard to that uh, point maybe uh, as uh, Professor Hedran mentioned before that we have uh, produced a book the Fakih of Disability 
and also for the student, uh, the disability student in our uh, university, we provide them for the place for pray. For example, for the Islamic uh, student who want to do pray. And also we have uh, provided the services for uh, the interpreter uh, for just like uh, in Jum'ah uh, uh, pray, yeah, in uh, mosque uh, that we have, uh, th there is a, a student from uh, our university who, who can do the interpret by the hand signage. Yeah? Then uh, for the others, uh, there are also activities that they can uh, do. For example, for the Christian, usually during the uh, uh, Friday afternoon, also they have some gathering. I saw in some uh, faculty, they have some uh, gathering because Friday afternoon, there is no class because some Muslim are doing praying. So the, the Christians also they get gathering. Yeah. And with regard to uh, uh, this uh, accreditation, quality assurance, yeah, uh, yeah our university uh, do uh, optimizing the 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 facilitation the facilitate uh, the facilitate for the disabled. This is the, the most important thing that, uh, as the student mentioned, we are not yet uh, uh, facilitating the inclusive because some facility is not yet uh, available. For example, the disability toilet it is only uh, two in two faculty, the faculty of uh, law and faculty of uh, agriculture that they have the facility for uh, disability toilet. Just like that, uh, Rebecca. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and I might also ask uh, mm -hmm. Professor Hendrawan uh, whether he had anything to add to this mm -hmm. question about uh, whether there are sort of cultural or religious barriers that might um, sort of play into uh, providing more inclusive uh, education for people living with disabilities. Okay, thank you, uh, Dr. Rebecca, for giving me uh, opportunity just to share uh, my vision on that particular question. I think this very important just to acknowledge the, the people in the university, especially uh, Indonesia, uh, probably we have a, a diverse in terms of culture. And as you know that in the recent time, the student uh, since probably in the early childhood, uh, they are so familiar with bullying the, the people and not only uh, for just joking, yeah, and then probably become something that, uh, what is this one is maybe accumulated and maybe uh, what is settled down under the unconscious uh, thought of them. So uh, in the society, sometimes uh, the people is not so welcome, maybe so acknowledged to other disability people. So this is the, the important thing that we uh, has uh, we have to uh, what is uh, doing more and more just to socialize actually the equality 
the equity for everybody because our uh, what is national law or basic uh, principle of our way of life. Actually, we are not allowed just to discriminate uh, people for any reason, either for religious uh, belief, for cultural belief, or maybe for their uh, different origin, uh, what they saw of the regions, because Indonesia is so wide, you can uh, imagine that Indonesia uh, territory is similar uh, something from Ankara, from Istanbul, Turkey, up to uh, UK. This is the, uh, the coverage of, of Indonesian territory. So, of course, we also have more than maybe a thousand uh, different local languages and also the culture also is quite, quite uh, numerous. So uh, different culture, uh, different local uh, uh, geographical condition, probably also uh, they have a different uh, culture in terms of acceptance with the differences. So um, in this uh, sense, uh, I would like just to, what is to encourage the everybody in, in this in this uh, webinar uh, we started from ourselves now that we have to realize that god creating uh, human or any other creatures actually the for, for the good thing yeah so we have to accept any differences yeah for goodness so and also we we can uh, what we, we we have we have to educate other people or normal people that the word of disability probably uh, that's already so famous and I think to myself I'm not so uh, what is happy as to use that, that term that is why I, I, I prefer just to use uh, disabled other than disabled just to to describe the people like that. Because disabled, it means that uh, they can do something, but in different way as we, uh, the, the normal person. So by introducing that one, so we teach them to appreciate, to acknowledge uh, what is to respect yeah, uh, other people with, uh, with this different uh, the, uh, in terms of ability with us. So I think this should be one of the important point is to be included in the curriculum yeah it's not only for for the disability the people with the disability but also for the normal people so i would like just to to what is something like a make sort of a appeal yeah that th this one is a, should be one of the uh, subject matter should be taught in the character education yeah because we have to to uh, build yeah, the better uh, characters yeah? uh, and especially uh, this time um, we are so influenced globally by so many uh, technology and probably we ignore or disregard something that we have to respect to others yeah, yeah. I think this is my, 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 my comment on that. Thank you. 
Uh, I might just have time for, for one more broad question. Uh, the, the questions have been coming through and uh, we have been trying to answer some of the questions. Uh, and I see that our panellists have been answering the questions too. Uh, Beth, there is a specific question for you in the chat if you wanted to go in uh, and maybe type an answer out to that question. Uh, but uh, I might ask the rest of our, our panellists uh, a question about uh, from one of our audience members about whether or not equality comes about from the concept of normalization. And what I take that to kind of mean is, um, you know, is, is it something that um, people, you know, sort of living with a disability become kind of normal or, you know, seen as being an, a normal part of society? Or, you know, should we really be focusing on the specialness um, of, of people with disabilities? Uh, so I'm wondering, I might start with Anthony um, and then I will pass that question over to Elise um, and uh, finish up with uh, Beth and Ramas. So, Anthony. Thanks, Rebecca. That, that's a really important question. Uh, as a man living with disability myself, I'm not sure whether I want to be special or uh, just accepted for who I am. Um, mm, I, I, I would like to see a world where diversity is uh, simply just accepted without question uh, because there are 7 billion humans on the planet and we're all unique, we're all special, we're all different. And um, I don't want to be singled out. I just want to be able to achieve my own abilities mm. and to do the best that I can without barriers that are put in place because of who I am or mm. something about me. Yeah, it's a really, it's a complex kind of question to end on, but thank you for sharing that, Anthony. Um, Elise, did you have any thoughts on this kind of conundrum around normalising um, disabilities? Yeah, okay. Thank you, Rebecca. So I do really agree what uh, Anthony said uh, earlier about uh, normalisation of the disability. To my personal experience, I I see disability as the changing concept. Um, it is not uh, it is not an innate characteristic, but it is an impact of the unaccessible society or unaccessible system. So uh, sometimes I also might be having disabilities in such kind of a situation that may be not friendly to uh, my ability. So uh, I may say that. Um, I don't think that, I, I do not agree with the word special because I think that all of us are special um, and all of us are unique. We have a different characteristic, we have a different ability. So I think that all we have to do is try to appreciate each other ability. And then uh, as I talk real that I think that disability is a changing concept and uh, it is not an innate characteristic that, um, stay with us forever but uh, in the perspective of social uh, disabilities we we also uh, we also can highlight that uh, disability is the product of uh, normalization mm. so yeah so maybe i do really agree that maybe the word equity can 
can also be the uh, effect or the impact of the normalization. Thank you, uh, Rebecca. Thank you for your final thoughts. Uh, and Beth, uh, would you like to um, share your thoughts on, on this issue? Um, sure, I'm happy to. Uh, I'm trying to just switch my camera on for a moment. There we go. <laughs> um, so I, I guess I have sort of two areas of views here. In terms of individuals, I think, I think there's a lot of power in identifying how different social identities can impact access to things like education and employment. So I find it very helpful to be able to publicly identify as autistic because I use that as my social identity to explain to people what inequality means to me in a disability context, which is gonna be different from many other disabled populations who aren't autistic. So I find it helpful in that sense uh, to be thought of as, as as different or not so much special, but different in that regard. But in an institutional sense, I am sort of a proponent of moving away from the assumption that everyone is abled until they say they're not. So I would urge institutions in a neurodiversity context to assume that they are teaching to neurodiverse cohorts because they are. Mm. And, and cater their resources, not just to somebody who is typical or abled in a traditional sense, but to begin assuming that their students are by nature neurodiverse and planning accordingly. That's a terrific point, um, a really valuable point. Uh, and I think that I'm going to take that particular idea uh, into my own teaching practice. Uh, the final word goes to you, uh, Ramas. Wonderful. I think what's uh, important here is the English word disability. So dis, D-I-S, ability, A-B-I-L-T-Y. So dis is a negative and ability is a positive. So if we think about the world around us, um, access provision, if there was access provision, would I be labelled disabled? No, I wouldn't. Because um, it's because my access has been denied that I'm the one who is labelled disabled. So if we think about uh, university shopping centres, every precinct having access to ramps for a person in a wheelchair, then they wouldn't be labelled disabled because there is no access issue. So we need to look at it at the concept of access being provided universally, like Beth mentioned, for diverse cohorts, and therefore we wouldn't need that term or label disability. That's a terrific point. Uh, and a terrific way of ending uh, this session. I'm sorry that we couldn't uh, get to more of the questions and discussion time, uh, but we had, uh, you know, a lot of uh, six very rich presentations. Uh, I learned a lot and I hope that you in the audience also uh, took away um, some ideas uh, and some new thoughts about uh, how to, uh, you know, to... to encourage uh, inclusive culture in higher education. Uh, I would like to uh, thank uh, Universitas uh, Brawijaya 
for collaborating with us on this event, Tara Makassi. Uh, I would like to thank the speakers uh, for the time that they have put into their presentations and for the insights that they have provided today. And thank you to uh, our attendees for coming. I hope um, that, you, that you got a lot out of it, uh, as much as what I did. Uh, I Just as a final kind of uh, promotion, uh, there is a conference uh, coming up uh, uh, five days from Monday, the 30th of November to the Friday, the 4th of December. Uh, and it is called Pathways uh, 15 Online, Advancing Inclusion in 2020 and Beyond. And I believe that a link just went into the chat. Uh, so you should be able to find more details there. Uh, but thank you again, Tara McCarthy. It was an absolutely fantastic discussion. Uh, apologies for running a little bit over time, but I really think that it was worth it to, um, to get the extra discussion in. Uh, so thank you uh, and enjoy the rest of your day or the rest of your evening. Thank you very much. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you very much for. Thank you very much. Thank you. Much. <laughs> nice.